You may be seated. Glad you made it today through the rain. I had the most interesting drive I've ever had. We got one one hundredth of an inch for the month of July at my house. Whenever I hit about a mile and a half from my house until I got to fate, had to at least be a three-inch rain the entire time. I couldn't see the road. I couldn't see the, the stripes. Uh, that was the most interesting ride. I have an all-wheel drive. My car was, has this alarm. Evidently goes off when your wheels are not making contact. And so I was doing that. And I crossed Lake Ray Hubbard and never knew it. I'm serious. I did not know. I literally did not know I'd crossed it till I hit Rockwall and it kind of eased up. And so when I got here, it wasn't raining. So I don't know if y'all got it earlier or what, but we, man, it was amazing. So I grew up on the coast. I used to be used to that, but I haven't done that in a while. Well, I hope you had a good week. Take your Bibles now. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. We're going to do two weeks on these three verses. It's about prayer. We'll do something a little different with it today. And then next week, we'll look in more detail to what the passage says. But I hope your week was good and celebrating the 4th of July. We were at the lake, as I said we do, and we had a great time there. But the night before was turned out to be very special. In fact, it'll go down as one of the most special nights uh, of several within our family. It was over at my daughter's house. Uh, we made pizza. We do homemade pizza all the time, and so we had our own homemade pizza. And you know how sometimes you get together and Things just start happening. Well, my son and one of my grandsons picked up guitars, and they started strumming. And then before long, we just began singing praise courses. And those of you who are on my Facebook page, you notice I posted two or three of the, just the kids and everybody just singing. It was just special. But little did I know what was going on at the moment. I could go back and look at the video later and see it literally unfolding that night. But after everybody left and we'd gone home, Jan and I, to our house, uh, my daughter and her husband, Troy, were sitting down there. Kids had all gone to bed when our Tim, my 13-year-old uh, grandson, the one who was adopted from Russia, came down and stood in front of his dad and said, Dad, I've got a question. And he said, what is it? And he says, how do you know for certain if you're a believer? Our Tim has never made a, a decision for Christ. He goes to church. He has had very little interest in it at all except just having to go because we make him go. Uh, our grand, my daughter does. But I'd, I went back and looked at the video that night. He was singing every song and singing it with a heart that I'd never seen him do before. And so Troy said, well, what's going on? Troy handled it to perfection. He, he was one of my deacons in shallow water. He's a very godly man. And he, he handled well talking with Artem that night. But Artem said this. And this, this just keeps driving home a point in my own heart and mind as a preacher. It's the power of God's word. My son-in-law said, Artem, what brought you to this point? He said, Artem said, I was reading Romans 5.8. Now you should know Romans 5.8. If you don't, go look it up later. But as he's reading Romans 5.8, he said, I got it. I got it. And then he said, that's when God got me. So we had quite a night. Troy, the next day at the lake on the 4th, was sharing with me what all was going on that night. It was an amazing night. And I, our Tim called me late that night, woke us up, 
He had to tell me what was going on. And then he said, Pop, Pop, would you baptize me? I said, you got it. I will work out a date in August, and I will, I will do it. I said, now, at your age, can you hold your breath for 10 minutes? Because I got a lot to clean up. <laughs> and in our Tim fashion, he told me, Pops, I could do nine and a half minutes. I said, that'll be good enough. So... But those are, you, you grandparents and parents, you've had those moments. Those are joyful moments when the last of all of our grandkids has come to know Christ. My wife, she's a little overbearing. She was trying to lead him to Christ almost every day. And I kept saying, would you leave him alone? She said, well, you're the preacher. Aren't you concerned? I said, yeah, I'm concerned. But let God do his work. And so I turned to her on Monday night after we hung up. And I said, God did it. And he did it well. And now let's watch how this unfolds. And then... You know, y'all been, uh, one of the things I love about your church that you have here is your mission trips. It's what you seem to do what we did at Village. You go back to the same places over and over. You don't realize, because I've did that for 20 years, the impact that has when you keep going back to similar places to the same people because you build relationships. I got a, a text yesterday, and it was from Cuba. And Barbara said, Professor such and such, Graduated with his doctor of ministry this week. A summer session. I said, you're kidding me, from Midwestern. See, I was paying for 10 professors to get their doctorates, and the first one graduated with his doctorate. That is now the second professor, because Barbaro, the president of the seminary, I paid for his at Southwestern. So I wrote back and said, how are the other guys doing? He says, they'll graduate next July. I said, you're kidding me, 10. That's 11 guys that will come back in Cuba with their earned doctorates. The credibility of this seminary went up dramatically. And then I found out yesterday at Southwestern and talking to them, three more are now coming. There will be 14 professors in Cuba trained by our Baptist seminaries, have the credentials, and it opens doors to them like you can't imagine. That set off text going among a bunch of us in San Antonio yesterday. And I said, you know, in our wildest imagination, we never saw this one. God did abundantly beyond. Does not Ephesians say that? Abundantly beyond anything that you ask or think. So I'm going to challenge you guys. You keep doing what you're doing. You stay faithful to it. And you'll be shocked when you see what God does in the most dramatic of ways. Which now leads me to what we want to do today, and that's on prayer. I'm going to make an interesting observation that maybe you've never thought about when we do this and then bring an application to it. But I want to start this way before we read our text. One of the great parts of my life has been over the last especially 10 to 15 years is the privilege to become friends with these following people. Sergeant Philip Monk, which I've referenced before. Aaron and Melissa Klein. Do you know the name? They're the bakers from Oregon. They were in the news this week, 10 years from when they lost their bake shop and were fined $130,000. Supreme Court this week finally ruled in their favor. So it looks like eventually they're going to get out from all that they have been through. They lost everything when they lost their bake shop. I've been friends for many years now with Kelvin Cochran. If you're not aware of the name, he was the fire chief of Atlanta who got employee of the year and then the next month fired because of his Sunday school lesson. Somebody turned in his Sunday school book of a book that he had written, and the mayor fired him from his position. He later 
won his case. But I got to become friends. He preached in my pulpit twice, one of the great men in America. I got to be friends with Baronel Stutzman, amazing woman, grandma, florist, state of Washington, who literally lost everything, her floral shop, her house, everything, because of her faith in Christ. And then lastly, I add to the list, Wes Motter of SEAL Team 6, a chaplain in SEAL Team 6, who was fired because of his Assembly of God convictions as he counseled people as a chaplain. We all met. We were meeting at different things we were invited to, but we were all invited in August of 2018 to Iowa to a religious freedom rally. And we all stood on a stage and shared stories of God at work within our midst. Uh, even afterwards, the newsboys were there to do a concert after we finished. And I even got to stand on the stage and sing with the newsboys. It's the only time anybody's ever let me sing ever in my life. But it was an amazing night. So out of that came a, a fellowship of what we called the persecuted in America. And then we became a support group for everybody else since then. We still do some of that. We were on the phone counseling different people. That's why I was with uh, the little girl that's a swimmer going through what she's going through. But in 2019, I had the privilege to interview Wes Motter in what would be like a uh, 60 Minutes interview in Washington, D.C. I was asked to do that. 22-year veteran who loved his country, who loved the military, and who would served faithfully as a chaplain. But standing for me, this six-foot-five man, huge man, was broken. I've never seen somebody that broken by what had happened to him. The military had turned on him and destroyed his career. People had abandoned him who he walked in religious life because of his faith in Christ, because he was a controversy. And so as I began to interview him, we got to the point in the interview where I asked him this. You had a dark night of the soul, Wes. Share with us that night and how God brought you through that. And he looked at me and said, I will not do that. Cameras are rolling. I said, yes, Wes, you need to. No. I said, Wes, please. You need to do this. Sergeant Monk had it. Aaron Melissa went through it. Kelvin Cochran went through it. Baron L. Stutzman went through it. I, I went through it. Share with us. And he began to pour his heart and soul out with tears flowing down the face of the SEAL Team 6. When he finished sharing for 30 minutes what that night was like and how God spoke to him in the most dramatic of ways as he sought him in prayer. There was not a dry eye. I didn't, my, eye my face was wet from tears as I watched this broken man, but yet holding on to everything he had in Christ Jesus. That taught me some things, and that's maybe why I do things a little more different than others because I've walked this road, so I'm a lot more serious. It's hard for me to lighten up a little bit sometimes because I just know how tough it can get out there. I had two staff who went through similar things like this. This prayer thing becomes important. I'm setting this up because you're going to say this, prayer is so critical and important. Yes, it is. It is the one thing that God has given us that allows us through these moments. And I've had about eight or nine of you ask me if I would do sometime soon a Second Chronicles 7.14 passage and preach on that again. You've heard sermons on it. And maybe down the road I'll be able to do that. But you know what? My people call by my name shall humble themselves and pray. Seek my face. Turn from wicked ways. I will hear. I'll forgive. I will clear their land. Why are you asking me to do that? For the same reason I struggle with some things I see today. 
We're at a critical time when a lot of the things that we hold a value are disappearing from out, out and under us. So what do we do? I've been working on the book that I'm writing, The Days of Noah. You begin to think, and I'm not one who jumps to conclusions too often or conspiracy theorists or anything else, but it sure does feel a little more like we're a little closer to the days of Noah than we've ever been before. So what should be our response? Stand with me. Let's read what our response ought to be. Following bottom verse 18 through 20, simple passage. With all prayers, petitions, pray at all times, in the spirit, and with this in view, be alert with perseverance and petitions for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given me in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel. Because I'm an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So what we're going to talk about today is the type of prayer that will work, that God will bless. Father, speak to us in a clear way today. Everyone in the room would agree with me that prayer is one of the most important things that we could be doing using 2 Chronicles 7.14, other passages of prayer that we could reference that are from our study of Scripture. But as we look at this one today, helps a couple of thoughts sink into our head and mind as we look in detail for this weekend, next weekend, of what's involved as we seek you during these days. Now watch over and guide us. It is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Something hit me. It's been 10, 15 years ago when I was working on something for a sermon. And it works here in Ephesians, and this is where I've used it since. Where does the new, in the New Testament, do the writers teach us how to pray in their letters? Since prayer is so important, you would think it'd be at the start. And you could say, well, Paul in Ephesians, the first chapter, prays. Yeah, he did. He prayed for the people at Ephesus, but he doesn't teach us to pray. We learn from his prayer, but he doesn't make a command or anything at that moment to tell us that we need to be praying. He said, well, chapter 3, yeah, we can get to the end of chapter 3, and yes, that is true. When he, He's praying for the people, but he doesn't command us to pray there, but we learn from his prayers at that particular point how to pray. It's not to the very end of the letters that he says... Here, in this passage, I want you to be praying at all times for all people. If I go to the book of Colossians, when does he teach about prayer in the book of Colossians? Well, you know there are four chapters in Colossians. It's in chapter 4, verse 2, when he says this, Devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. And it's at the end of his teaching of theology and the ethics of how to live in Christ in this new life. If I'm reading 1 Thessalonians, when does he teach us or command us to pray? Chapter 5, the famous verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's at the end of that. He does pray for them earlier, but he doesn't command us till he gets to the very end of that book. If I go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, where does, he does it at the end of 2 Thessalonians. 
And the whole purpose of 2 Thessalonians was to teach the church how to handle the potential coming of Christ and all the stuff that's going on because of that. He gives them details. One of the best descriptions of the Antichrist you'll find in chapter 2. He then calls them to godly living with that threat maybe facing them. But when he gets to chapter 3, he says, Pray for us that the word of God will spread rapidly and be glorified and that we'll be rescued from perverse and evil men for not everybody has a faith. He calls them to prayer as he gets to the end of that. What about other writers? When does James teach us about prayer? He doesn't teach anything. He doesn't say a prayer. He doesn't teach about prayer until chapter 5. And as he gets to the end of chapter 5 and giving us instructions of how to live in midst of persecution and difficulty, at the end he says this, If any of you are suffering, then he must pray. If any one of you is sick, let him call the elders of the church and they can pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And then he says this, the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, they will be forgiven to him. And then in verse 16, it says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. He even throws in Elijah as an illustration that Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain and then he prayed it would rain and God blessed those prayers. If I go to the book of Hebrews and read that book, he doesn't teach us about prayer until I get to chapter 13. It's at the end. Pray for us. For we're sure we have a, that we ha- we're sure we have a good conscience and we desire to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. I urge you all the more to do this so that I can come and join you guys and come back sooner. But he doesn't tell them to pray until the very end of all that he was saying. Peter does a similar thing when he writes 1 Peter. He won't till chapter 4 of that first letter. The end of all things is near. Therefore be of sound judgment, sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Jude, the brother of Jesus, when he writes to the Jews, does not say a word about prayer until he gets to almost the last verse when he says, Beloved, building yourself up by your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And the apostle John, who wrote 1 John, 2 John, doesn't say a thing about prayer until he gets to 3 John. And at the end of that, he says this, I pray that in all respects you may prosper in good health just as your soul prospers. But he says nothing more past that. So you say, okay, what's the purpose of that? Well, that was a million-dollar question that I was asking myself. Why is it at the end? Y'all may not do that kind of stuff, but I... I I'm very math-oriented in everything I do. There has to be reasons for stuff. You just don't haphazardly throw stuff out. This is God's Word. He's the God of order. There has to be reasons for that. So why is a prayer the last thing we're taught in our letters in the New Testament? And it dawned on me, James 5.16. The prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Catch it. The prayer, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The word effective means the work of prayer, the energy of prayer, the the producing effect of prayer. The word accomplish is a word power. It can have that kind of power with it. And the word much is just the word for large, great, many, or abundant. Whichever one of us in this room want to be able to see is see that God accomplishes much through our prayers. And did not Paul say he does abundantly beyond all that we can even ask or think in Ephesians chapter 3? So then my question comes to another one now. 
So how do we get there? I want to be there. I would think so do you want to be there. And if it's the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much, then what does it take for God to be able to hear our prayers and do a great work as we come to in prayer? And if prayer is so desperately needed in the day which we live in, then it becomes even more important that we understand this particular question. So what is James' point whenever he says that in chapter 5? A righteous man. We have been over the last... 8 to 10 to 12 weeks, literally unfolding what a righteous person is. Literally, since we started in the first of Ephesians, all the way to the end, we've been unfolding that. Our righteousness comes by the imputed righteousness of Christ, the amazing work that he has done. It's our Tim when he read in Romans, when Christ died for the ungodly. He understood that's who he was. He is now a new person in Christ Jesus, just like you became when you came to know Christ. You're now, the blood of Christ is forgiven you. You're covered in the righteousness of Christ. And when God looks at you, he sees what Christ has done for you. But there's also the practical righteousness of life that you and I have to live out this new self that we've been given. Paul said, put on the new self. He literally is not commanding us. He's really saying, you have already done this. This is when you came to Christ. You're a new creation. You were created in righteousness. But in this new self, there are specific steps that you learn to take in life. And we did those. I'm going to hit them again. Stop lying. Tell the truth. He says that to believers. Stop lying. Tell the truth. He says, get your anger under control. Anger of man never achieves the righteousness of God. Stop stealing, work hard with your hands, and share what God's blessed you with with others around you. Watch what you say. No unwholesome word. Only edify other people by how you speak. Part of being a righteous person is, is walking in obedience to what God's called us to do. And why do we walk in this obedience? Why do I want those four things? So people will look at me and say, you know, Steve's a pretty good character. No, we don't do it for that reason. We're not doing it to be seen that we might have a good character about us. We're doing this out of an appreciation that we've been given the greatest gift of all time, the gift of life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And because I get to be a part of that family, I want Father in heaven to be proud of the work that he's doing within my life. My oldest grandsons come home from college. Kids who go away for college and come home for a summer cannot be, are not easy to live with. I did it three times. They got too much independence, and some of you are shaking your head. You know what I'm talking about. You younger ones, you have no idea what we're talking about. My daughter called the other night, her mom, my wife, and she's crying. What's happened to my son? I sat there and just kind of listened. My wife's trying to give advice. She hangs up. She turns to me, what do you think? I said, just normal boy. You're condoning this? No, I said, it's a normal boy. He just came home. He's used to his freedom. And he's not got time for family right now. It's just that. Well, my daughter had to sit him down and lecture him on how he was acting. And he, yesterday, said, Pops, Sometimes you just don't know if you want to be around your family anymore. He said, but I love my family. I said, didn't hear what your mom said. I understand. 
I was just like you. My mom was about ready to kick me out when I came home from University of Texas. I understand. But son, you've been blessed with a great mom and dad, a great family. Enjoy this. And live a life that brings them praise. I am, Pops. I'm doing that. I said, we all need reminders of that. This one reminding us all today is we do this because we're part of a family, the family of God. Some of us did not have good families. We don't have that to fall back on. But you now, if you're in Christ, you now have a good family. In fact, you don't have a good family. You've got a great family. And the Father in heaven. And so I want to live my life in such a way that demonstrates that I appreciate all that he's done and given me the ability to be able to do this. And then he'll say in Ephesians, don't breathe the Spirit then, which has to do with bitterness and anger. Because along, to, along the way in life, we get hurt. People do things to us, and we have trouble letting it go sometimes. But that grieves the Spirit of God. And when it does, I can't, there's no way you can pray effectively when you've grieved the Spirit. Part of a righteous man is forgiveness. Learning that. It's not easy to do. Sometimes it's one of the most difficult things you'll ever do in your life, but it's what we do. And we walk in love, it then says. There's no immorality, no impurity, no greed. Those are all the worldly things that we've all battled at one time or the other within our lives and may still battle at some point. But we walk away from all that. We fight to get away from all that. Why? Because we want the Father in heaven to be able to use us in the most dramatic of ways. And we walk as wise men that we learned in Ephesians. We're filled with the Spirit as we walk with the wisdom He's given us and we sing to the Lord. You know, I love worshiping here with you guys. I'm sitting right down front right here, as you know. But the singing behind me is always very good. I love listening to that. And I'll stop ever so often. And I'm not stopping just to stop singing. Although if you heard me, you might ask me to stop singing. I'm just listening to you guys. I'm just listening as you give praise to the Father. So when we're filled with the Spirit, we sing. We sing. As you can't help but sing whenever you're filled with the Spirit of God. And you're thankful for everything. And you're submissive to one another. And you bring all of this to your family. So what you bring is wives respecting husbands, husbands loving wives, children obeying their parents, honoring our father and our mother. And dads taking a role in help impacting your father's life, uh, your children's life. You know, I mentioned Kelvin Cochran. Kelvin grew up in Shreveport. He never had a dad. His mom had to hold two jobs to raise him up. You know who helped raise him to become the godly man he is today? His church. The men in his church gathered him around because he had no dad, and they raised him up to become an amazing young man. We need men who stand up. That's what walking in righteousness is about. And then when the evil day comes... Because we're walking this way, we can stand firm. We can be clothed in the righteousness of what Christ has done for us. We've got the life that he's called us to live. We can put up the shield of faith as the arrows come at us. And we can speak truth. And when we pray, God's going to hear. The prayer of a righteous man. The effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Did not Jesus also say similar things in John 15? Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. But if you abide in me, in verse 7, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The answer to prayer is what? Abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ. 
How do you abide in Christ? Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. See, when I talk about being the righteous person, Hebrews says it the best. A righteous man just lives by faith. You just trust God, he'll take care of you. It is really that simple. And so when you're driving on the freeway and you can't see it because it's raining three inches an hour, you say, Lord, take care of me. And then you just keep driving and not anything you can do about it. You just hope you survive it. But if I, let's say, because I couldn't see Lake Ray Hubbard, let's say that I drove off Lake Ray Hubbard. Well, that's all right. I got wet and then I'd gone into heaven. So I'd have been in good shape. You just trust God. Even when it goes bad, you trust God. Several of you have told me amazing stories of what's happened in your life and the example of faith you are to me But as you trusted God to get you through those unbelievably difficult situations. It just reaffirms what I've always believed, that God takes care of his people. I've seen it in the lives of the people I talked about, from Sergeant Philip Monk to Kelvin Cochran to the Stutzmans in, in Washington State or the Kleins in Oregon. I've seen God at work within their lives. I saw it as it brought Wes Motter out of his depression as he got back on his feet and rebuilt his life after he retired from the military. See, we believe that God will preserve and take care of us according to Hebrews 10.38. We're of the faith which leads to preserving of our soul. So my call to you is as you go to prayer, be a man of faith filled with the righteousness that Christ has given us and living a life that brings joy and honor to him. And when we are walking in obedience to his will, God will hear our prayers. The prayer of a righteous man will accomplish much. Let me give a warning, though. I pulled about six verses. I could have pulled a ton more. Psalms 1841, they cried for help. There was none to save because the Lord did not answer. You can pray and God not hear you. He did to the nation of Israel who did not hear what they had to say. Psalm 66, 18, if you regard wickedness in your heart, the Lord will not hear. Proverbs 1 says this, then they will call on me, but they will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. He's referencing those who walk the wrong way in lives. They can come all they want in prayer and God doesn't hear. Isaiah was, I think, one of the most blind of all when he's doing that first chapter and speaking to the nation of Israel. So when he says this, when you spread your hands in prayer... I hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, God says, he says, I will not listen. And in James, the brother of Jesus had great insight when he said this. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrong motives. You ask so that you can spend it on your own pleasure. See, part of asking a righteous man doesn't pray for himself. He doesn't pray for what his wants and his needs and pleasures are. Go back to 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, which are called by my name, show what? Humble. What is, hum- what is humility? Well, you did Ephesians, excuse me, Philippians 2, 5 a minute ago. Started all the way to around chapter 11, or verse 11 or 12. Back up to 3. 3 explains the mind of Christ. That you consider other people more important than yourself. That's what humility is. So when you and I come in prayer, and it's not for us, but for each other. And and we'll see next week when we do the prayer in verses 18. Pray with all prayer and petition. Pray at all times in the Spirit with this in view. Be on alert with all perseverance and petitions for all the saints. You're praying for each other. 
It may be because of my age, but there's very little I ask for anymore. I mean, I really don't need anything in, anymore. I've got everything I wanted in life, and I really I have nothing on my prayer list today for me. My health's good, so I don't say much about that. I just give thanks, and I'm still doing all right health-wise. Be careful what you're asking for and why you're asking. The reason God doesn't hear prayers is because the people hate knowledge or the people don't fear God or they would not accept his counsel or they spurned his correction in life. But we know this, that when you walk right and you walk according to his will and you pray according to his will and you walk in righteousness, God will hear you. Did he not hear his son who is the perfect example of that? You know, Jesus would often slip away to the wilderness and pray often would do that. There were times he'd go up on the mountain. Some of you just got back from Israel. You know that going up on the mountains would be quite a steep climb. Some of those places he'd have gone up to at night to pray on that rocky, hard terrain. But he would go up there and spend time in prayer. And it said this in Hebrews 5, 7. I've always been fascinated by this, that the father heard the son's prayer because of his piety. The prayer of a righteous man will accomplish much. The father heard Jesus because of his piety, his commitment to the father doing what the father wanted. I got to go to Mount Carmel. That was one of the great experiences of my life, standing on Mount Carmel. You know what happened there. It's where Elijah was. But one of the things that took place before he got to to Mount Carmel was he stopped in Zarephath. And there was a woman there, and her son was dying and died. And so Elijah, because of his heart towards her, prayed. And the Bible says the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the life of the child returned to him and was revived. And you know what the woman said to Elijah? I know now you're a man of God. And that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. I wonder how much more impact we'd have If we're living the kind of life by faith in Christ Jesus and we're clothed in his righteousness and walking in righteousness, that our prayers when accomplishing much would lead others to go, whoa, something's going on here in your life. And they want to hear now the word of truth from us. See, this stuff all ties together. I think what God's looking for today is Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, When it says, I search for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so I would not destroy it. And I found no one. What is needed today more than anything else for your church, for your family, for your friends is for you to stand in the gap and pray. To bring the godliness of that you have found in Christ Jesus and is now in and flowing in your life. That you struggle and strive to be everything he's called you to be. And when you bow your knee to prayer, you pray with a heart that really cares about those around us. That's the humility. And know this, that the working, the effective prayer of this kind of person is going to have an impact. And then Ephesians 3.20 will become even more real to us as it was to Paul when he says... Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory to the church forever and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever.
We live in interesting days. As I researched all week on the days of Noah, finding all the little aspects of it, all the things that different little statements were throughout the scripture, I'm trying to categorize that so I can do it. It was just that evil had pervaded to a level that was stunning. We're not there, but things not good. My friend texted me this morning. We were talking about Cuba from San Antonio. And he, he, he quoted the song, the hymn. I sing because I'm free. You know that old hymn. I'm not going to attempt it. We do what we do today because we have been freed in Christ Jesus. We have been forgiven and we've been given life. We're the most blessed people, according to Ephesians 1, that has ever lived. Because we have Christ. And as some of us approach the latter part of our lives, we, we approach it with, with hope and confidence because we know something. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. We're free. And he says, you know, I don't know, my friend said this, I don't know if we in America understand freedom anymore, but I bet your friends in Cuba fully understand freedom now. Because though they're not free, they're freer than they've ever been because of their faith and trust in Christ. And they live a life that brings him honor and glory. I close with this. Just for COVID, I was speaking at chapel at the seminary there. I had about 150 men sitting in front of me. And I said, you know, y'all have, have given me the privilege over the five years now to come here. And you want to know, you know, about America and all the great things in America. I said, this is in 2019 before COVID. I said, you know what? A day is coming when I'm coming to you guys not to tell you of what it is to walk by faith with Christ in America, but coming to ask you to please teach me how to walk in faith after all you've been through. And so next fall, next winter, I'm going back to sit down with them and talk through this kind of stuff because I really think it's important. So my challenge to you today is enjoy your life. Enjoy what God's given you. Live with joy and thanksgiving every day. Live with the hope that is ours in Christ. Clothed with the armor of God, for nothing can happen apart from his providence to each and every one of us. We plan our way, but God directs our steps. And let's seek him with all our heart, soul, and mind. Let's bring with it the righteousness of Christ and the, the struggling and striving to be righteous among family and friends so that when we bow our knee, he hears us. And he answers. Father, we thank you for this day and for the privilege and honor you've given us to study your word. We thank you for this passage as we get into it that we'll take serious, that Paul put this at the end for a reason, that he needed our lives to be moving in the right direction so when we come in prayer, you will hear us and you will answer. May we not look at anybody else's life today but our own. Are we struggling and striving, fighting the good fight to be the kind of men and women that you've called us to be? So that when we lift our family up in prayer, that Father, you will bless that prayer in the most dramatic of ways. So Father, watch over each one here. Continue to teach us. 
Bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.